0: Welcome to Stacey on the Ride, the podcast here at Family Vision Media. So excited to have you with us. I'm welcoming into the podcast Dean Clancy, Senior Policy Fellow at Americans for Prosperity. Dean, thank you for your time, sir.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: All right, so let's talk a little bit about something that has kind of fallen off of the radar for a lot of our media coverage. In fact, I almost hear no one talking about this on MSNBC or CNN or any of the mainstream channels that kind of dominate the discourse, and that is Obamacare and the rising cost of premiums and lack of access.
1: Absolutely. Yes, and you're right. Obamacare has dropped off the radar, but it's still there and it's causing problems. If I can just give you a few statistics. Health insurance premiums have doubled since Obamacare was enacted in 2010. I'm talking about in the individual purchase market. This year, in that market, premiums are going to go up 25% on average. And in the employer based markets, you know, workplace health plans, that's a 10% increase expected. This chronic inflation in premiums has been going on since Obamacare and continues. Meanwhile, the cost of the premiums is becoming completely unaffordable. You know, you're spending like $22,000 a year on an individual health insurance plan, and you have to spend five, ten thousand $10,000 out of pocket before a penny of that insurance kicks in. It's completely unsustainable.
0: So the unsustainability of it is probably one of the main drivers behind the lack of coverage because... If you talk about Obamacare and you talk about the lack of access, you talk about the cost, it becomes clear that there's something wrong and that another fix is going to be needed. So I want to unpack this in a way that people can take away some. Salient points that they can make if the conversation should come up because we're actually in open enrollment right now. So, if people are making a change with their health insurance or maybe moving to an alternative means like healthcare sharing, which is becoming more popular in America right now, they're actually weighing these very subjects right now. They're looking at this at this very moment. So Dean, what is the solution here? Because the Republicans failed to repeal Obamacare when they controlled all parts of government when President Trump took office in 2017. So the likelihood of there being legislative action on it seems pretty slim. What's the solution?
1: Well, we need to, if not completely, repeal Obamacare. And you're right, Republicans did fail to keep their promise on that in 2017 by one vote in the Senate. It was quite tragic. We can certainly repeal significant parts of Obamacare, such that we can reduce the cost of health insurance and health care. And there are other things as well, and I can go into details on those specific policies, but we also need to make it easier for Americans to take control of their health care, to become the consumers of health care. My line is, in American health care today, the patient is not the customer. The patient is the product. The real customer in American healthcare, because of all the government mandates and subsidy schemes and spending, the real customer is the big insurance corporations, the big hospital corporations, the drug companies, and so on. And the patient kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And the result is costs are going up, as we discussed a moment ago. Meanwhile, people's access to doctors and hospitals is shrinking. This is definitely a result of Obamacare's poorly designed mandates. And so it's getting harder to find a doctor who's in your health insurance plan or a facility that will take your particular health insurance. What's the solution? We need to repeal some of those Obamacare mandates that, for example, make you have every bell and whistle, you know, coverages that you are never going to need. There are price controls and caps on insurers' profits as a percentage, it basically incentivizes the insurers to always drive up their premiums and shrink their coverage. We get rid of those. And then on top of that, Stacy, we need to remove barriers between patients and care. We need to, for example, allow every American to do alternatives to insurance. You mentioned healthcare sharing. That's a good one. It's not insurance, but it's a great way to make sure that your medical bills get paid by cooperating with your neighbors. Another option is direct primary care. This is a new model where you basically cut out the insurance middleman for certain healthcare services. You just pay your favorite doctors a monthly subscription, like a Netflix subscription, often very affordable, and you get kind of 24/7 access to them with no additional charges or hidden fees or surprise bills. Telehealth is usually standard, very convenient, and you often get referrals for lab tests and specialists and deep discounts on generic drugs because often these direct primary care doctors will just buy the drugs directly from the manufacturers and cut out all the middlemen. And you can save 95% on generic drugs by going through this insurance-free model. Then there's a third thing I'll mention. And that's the tax-free health savings accounts. This is something that currently exists, but 90% of Americans don't have any access to an HSA. These are accounts you can use for any kind of qualified medical expense. It's tax-free. The money that goes in, the money that comes out, as long as you spend it on health care, is tax-free. And all the money that builds up, you know, you can invest it if you want or use it as a bank account. That's tax-free. And as a result, it gives you, in effect, a double-digit percentage discount on every medical purchase you make. Your healthcare dollar can go farther. More importantly, it puts you in charge of those health care purchasing decisions. And we all know people spend more wisely when they're spending their own money rather than, say, relying on an insurance company to do it for them. So if you make insurance more affordable, give people direct access, cut out the insurance middleman where you can and let them save and pay for health care tax free, I think you would have a much more affordable and higher quality health care system.
0: Thank you so much for breaking that down. This is the information we need. And I think sometimes in the conversation, we talk about the political aspect, which we already covered. I go straight to what Republicans didn't do because I never expect Democrats to do anything good and all of their ideas are bad. But when Republicans have power and we don't actually come through with what was promised on the campaign trail, a billion dollars was raised on repealing the ACA. It came down to one man. And even though he's passed away, I'm not superstitious. I don't believe in ancestors. I believe we can be critical of people who are alive and dead. And Senator McCain really drove a stake into the heart of just thousands of Republicans who... They believed what they were told, that all you have to do is give us all three parts of government and we'll get rid of Obamacare. And my favorite picadillo with Obamacare, it's the thing I hate about it the most, even though I hate a lot about it. I hate everything about it almost. But Dean, the thing that really, really gets my goat is the real estate tax that they embedded in it, where they get to take, I think it's 5.7%. Of anything you make over 500000 So if you luck into an old Victorian in a city that suddenly gets gentrified, and all of a sudden your neighborhood is full of coffee shops, and you spend 10 years remodeling it, and you make a million bucks because, you know, 10 years, the inflationary impacts and all of that, it can really mean that you make a lot of money. Then the government gets to take 5.7% of anything you make over 500000 just because of Obamacare. Where does the money go? Why didn't the Republicans repeal that immediately? Because that hits little DIYers and small families and you know people who are basically making a living by putting reels on Instagram of them falling off of ladders and fixing their house up. And they actually have never moved to get rid of that particular add-on. To me, that's the insidious nature of these big 2,500-page bills that never ever do anything for anyone but continue to take from us.
1: You're absolutely right. There are some real stinkers in the Obamacare law that are still on the books. On the other side, the glass half full side, we did get rid of the individual mandate, which was the beating heart of Obamacare and the most unconstitutional part of it. The penalty has been zeroed out by Congress. So now you are free to be uninsured if you want without penalty. And incidentally, even before Obamacare, we had effective universal access in this country. 98% of us either are enrolled in or eligible for a government-subsidized form of health coverage, be it Medicaid, Obamacare, or even employer-provided coverage, which is heavily subsidized through the tax code. We also got rid of a lot of the taxes in the Obamacare bill, not the one that you're talking about, unfortunately. The fact is, we don't have to repeal every word of that law to make healthcare more affordable we do have to make changes as i mentioned earlier we can leave the protections for pre-existing conditions you can still have something like a market and market prices if you just let insurance be priced more reasonably than is currently allowed and when you do that younger healthier people will get into the market they're you know staying away now because it's just too expensive And then some of the other things, like I mentioned, HSAs, direct primary care. By the way, we also need to do things like repeal certificate of need laws, which basically prevent competition among hospitals. They prevent new hospitals from opening, adding new beds, adding new machines. That's just done for protectionist reasons. We also have to make sure that doctors, nurses, and other providers can basically compete freely in the marketplace. There's a lot of regulation that basically is protectionist, designed to prevent competition. So all of this that we're talking about at Americans for Prosperity, we describe it as a personal option approach. The left wants a public option, which is their euphemism for single payer on the installment plan. We want a personal option. Put the patient in charge of his or her health care choices and, more importantly, health care dollars, because whoever controls the dollars controls the system.
0: So, Dean, I got to tell you, DPC is where it's at. Now, this is the modern or latest iteration of what used to be called concierge care, where you're paying this fee. And when it started, it was so expensive to get into a concierge relationship with a doctor because the practice is really small. Instead of coming in by yourself, you'd pay a pretty high fee on a monthly basis and sign an annual contract to be with this doctor. And they would not just help you, but your family. You have email access to this physician. It's just the most wonderful thing in the world. But it was kind of cordoned off. And the only people I knew who were doing it 15, 18 years ago were people who they literally... Had access to private planes, and you know, they vacation in Europe for a month in the summer, and you know, in December they'd go to Africa. And so I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like that's for me. Well, now they have whole practices where you can sign up and you pay 285 a month, and this doctor is your primary care doctor. And I used it for a year, and it was the most amazing experience because I had access to my physician, and he seemed to know me much better than my previous physicians had. And I've had some pretty good doctors over the years. So I think direct primary care, because the cost of it has come down, it's become more normalized. I really think it is the future, only it's a return to the past. Because remember, it used to be that there was one doctor in your town, and he knew everyone. He delivered every baby. He knew everybody's medical history. And he was your doctor until he died. And then his son was the next doctor. So this is kind of a return to a simpler time. But with the assistance of modern technology and medicine, which leads me to the second thing you listed, and that's the telehealth. You know, the pandemic really, really, there's not a lot about it I can say I loved, but one of the silver linings of it is that telehealth has become so normalized and it's so great because you don't have to leave your home, especially if you're sick and contagious, and you can still get help.
1: That's exactly right. And when the pandemic started, they had to waive all of these restrictions on things like telehealth and doctors treating people across state lines, and certificate of need laws that restrict hospitals. All those laws had been put in place supposedly to protect patients, but in an emergency, they had to be set aside to protect patients. So it tells you something about those restrictions. They weren't really there to protect patients. They were there to protect special interests. On the direct primary care thing, you're absolutely right. Doctors and patients love it because it's real health care. They've gotten the insurance company and the bureaucrat out of the exam room, out of the operating suite. And I like to think of it, hopefully, ideally in the future, as direct patient care, not just primary care, but specialty care and imaging. And every form of health care should have this option where you just pay the provider directly on a subscription basis. It's just between you and them. And now, Your provider doesn't have to be sitting there looking at a screen typing while talking to you and trying to get you out of the exam room as quickly as possible, which is how the patient experience has evolved under Obamacare and these government programs. Instead, that person spends time with you getting to know you as a person, like you said. It's just better health care.
0: It is. And so I think we're contrasting, it feels to me like, they're two very different systems because the ACA is limiting it keeps you connected to the government. And the government, as we have seen, because it's so large and cumbersome, and because there are certain things when you have huge groups of millions of people, there's just things you can't do. So it's orders of magnitude of difference between the ACA and how you're treated in that system. And the things you've been describing, which are bringing healthcare down to the person to person level, and making it much more a process wherein accountability can exist because if you have a direct patient care or direct primary care relationship with your physician and you decide that this person isn't serving your needs, you're not tied to a network or, you know, your insurance company saying, no, you have to see this doctor. You're limited to that practice. You're really just saying, hey, I'm the same thing we would do when we're getting our sink fixed or hiring a plumber or an electrician or having a home built. We pick someone that will go with what we want, the person who we connect with and we feel has the ability and skill and predisposition to complete the task that we're paying them for. This is the free market system meeting healthcare, it feels like in 2022.
1: That's absolutely right. And to bring it back to politics, I think that folks on the left are really losing touch with what the American people care about in healthcare. They just want good quality care at a reasonable price when they need it. And this insistence by the left that, well, we've just got to put a Medicaid or a government health care card in everybody's hand, and that takes care of every problem. That is so far from the truth. They're really out of touch in our own polling and message group work. or We knock on doors and so on at Americans for Prosperity. We feel like we're in touch with people. And what they're telling us is they don't want a government takeover of health care. They just want to fix what's broken in the healthcare system and keep what works. They know a lot of our healthcare system is really good, but it costs too much. There's too much hassle and paperwork. It's getting harder and harder to find a doctor and a facility that's in your health plan. And the quality, the experience is getting worse and people see that. But I think folks on the left are just so focused on getting an insurance card into everybody's hand when that doesn't guarantee you access to healthcare. I think there's a terrible problem there. And You mentioned Republicans, and I should say in their defense, they did talk about health care in this recent midterm campaign. You didn't hear much about it. They were a little bit scared of the issue, but they did put out some good ideas, ideas similar to the ones that we're talking about, but they didn't speak loudly about them, and I don't think voters got that message. And now that Congress is so divided coming out of the election, I don't think you'll see a lot of progress for the next two years, unfortunately, but hopefully... Folks who have a free market vision will speak up, do oversight message and try to connect with the American people, because I do think the left is vulnerable here on the quality issue.
0: And I agree with you 100 percent, Dean. And so as we're closing out here, I just want to circle back to something that we mentioned. And I kind of brought it up tangentially in the beginning because I feel like it's the future and I feel like health sharing actually goes along with direct primary care, direct patient care, which I love your terminology on that. Most health-sharing organizations have telehealth, even telemental. There's not an HSA component because you have to be employed by an employer. There's like a lot of regulations surrounding HSAs and how you can get a card and get access to it. But the health-sharing organization doesn't require that you segregate those savings off. And then you have a free market system within the idea that you're choosing to be in a community to share your health care costs. And then I think the other part about it that's interesting is... You know, you mentioned politics. I mentioned it. The fact is politics are involved in almost every area of our life because it's how we control government. Dean, the top and bottom surgeries and abortions and things that might be difficult for people of faith to contribute to, if you're in a major health care plan, insurance, your money goes into a single pot and it pays for everybody who's in that organization, everyone who's in that plan. You're helping to pay for every surgery, everything that's done. And health sharing, they have guidelines where if you join an organization that matches your faith tradition, you do not subsidize top and bottom surgeries and abortions. And I think when we talk about the free market healthcare system, when we talk about not having an individual mandate, being able to choose, I think health sharing is on the cusp of becoming far more popular when people realize those things.
1: Absolutely. And really, I think what we're talking about here is the divide between insurance and markets. And really, all the innovation and the quality and the prices going down, you all see that where you get insurance out of the way. People need financial protection against a big expense. They need some kind of you know affordable, basic insurance, but they don't need this expensive, intrusive model that has come to dominate. And HSAs, the reason 9 out of 10 Americans can't use them, and they're awkward to use for many, is because in order to have and contribute to an HSA, you have to have government-defined insurance. We want to break that link between the account and insurance. Let everybody have an HSA, even people who are uninsured, who choose to go with health care sharing. By the way, healthcare sharing means you're technically uninsured. But the fact is, it still gives you great protection and access. And DPC, with an HSA, that's currently not allowed. You have to choose. Why not let people have all of these options?
0: So that's the thing that I hate. And the more you learn about it, the less sense it makes. Like when you understand what an HSA is, a health savings account, where you set money off and you get a little tax break on it, the money is set off. So I can't go buy cowgirl boots with it. I can't remodel my kitchen with it. But I can pay my deductible. I can pay for the out-of-pocket costs related to having a wisdom tooth removed or a filling put in. So there are all these costs that we know, you know, walking into the dentist that your Delta dental plan is going to cover certain parts of it, probably the bulk of it, but you're still going to be out of 600 to a thousand bucks. I always count on that. If he says we need to, I'm thinking, well, there goes 600 to a thousand bucks. Now having an HSA means Dean, I, I have that money set aside. Now anyone can set money aside in a savings account. But to have that little tax benefit associated with it, and to have it in an account where you know it's going in specifically for health care costs, Americans who are using HSAs love them. So why not give access, as you mentioned, to everyone? No strings attached, no lobbyist carve-outs. Just give access to HSAs to everyone. I actually think that is a lobbying tool that insurance companies have used, where they say, well... In order to use this beautiful, wonderful free market idea of an HSA, it's what smart people do. They set money off. They segregate their money and they say, this is for car repairs. This is for health share. What they do is they say only if you have what is technically defined as insurance and then they require health sharing ministries to say, I am not insurance. This is not insurance. We are not required to pay your claims. And also, you can't have an HSA if you have our plan That is a way to punish the free market idea of health sharing. And of course, because most of them are faith-based, it's a way to keep faith-based people from having full access to what everyone else has, you know, if you're on traditional insurance.
1: Absolutely. Stacey, you're a breath of fresh air. I think you get it. And I hope you keep uh, preaching the gospel here because folks need to hear it. There is hope. There is a better healthcare future possible. And it's actually not that difficult to achieve. We just got to remove some of these barriers and uh, mental blocks that keep us sort of trapped in this, you know, medical industrial complex that we live in.
0: Well, Dean, thank you so much for the kind words. My husband and I just recently launched our own health sharing ministry, and that's some of the research that I've been doing. And I feel like I'm going to be using a lot of statistics gathered by Americans for Prosperity to support our efforts in educating people about this, because I believe in it so much. My husband and I are we're out on a limb here because we've never done anything like this before. But it's right, because if we don't do it, we can't just sit around and wait for someone else to do it. And Americans need other options to access paying for their health care expenses. And I think the message that you put out at AFP is that the free market system always wins. And we know this historically, we have the support. So all of us have to start partaking and participating in ways that we can to make the free market system even more accessible. And it's why we love Americans for Prosperity. Tell everyone how to find the research that you mentioned and everything that you're doing, Dean.
1: Thank you. And by the way, I'm going to look up your health sharing ministry. I'm very excited and impressed. I want to learn more.
0: Well, I'll send you a link.
1: (laughs) Okay, super. If you want to learn more about Americans for Prosperity and our personal option approach to health reform, just visit personaloption.com. That's personaloption.com.
0: Awesome. Personaloption.com. So we will put links to all of that in the show notes. If you're driving along listening to this, never fear. When you stop, you can click the links and find out everything about AFP. Dean Clancy, it's always a pleasure to see you on television and to hear your thoughts and now here on the podcast. So great to have you. Look forward to talking to you again.
1: Oh, Likewise. My pleasure.
0: All right. Have a wonderful day. And that's it for today's podcast. But we'll be back soon with more great content from FamilyVisionMedia.org. Thanks and God bless.